Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online for episode 305, Genre. Written by Carrie Cruz and Jonathan Nolan and directed by Anna Forrester, IMDb is giving this an 8.8 and Rotten Tomatoes a 69%. They say genre seals a divisive distancing from the show's origins and establishes the rules of this new world. The show doesn't do enough visually to reflect the change in filters between genres. There's too much on the agenda to focus on Caleb's addled perspective. On the other side, though, they think the third season has been unfolding as a mirror to the first, only now it's the humans who are locked into an automated and carefully managed routine. So I know this is a popular opinion, but I think I have to agree that I feel very split on this episode. I really enjoyed all the parts with Serac. The exposition of him and his brother, their development of Rehoboam, how all of that came to be, I was excited for that. Absolutely. I think we were waiting for something like that. And the way they did it was beautifully done. It's weird. It's got me flip-flopping. I kind of see what Sorak is thinking and feeling, but I think he's going about it the wrong way. I think what happened was he got so close to him and his brother's ideal circumstance but weren't able to complete it 100%. And in their dealings with trying to skirt the issues that they're having, they are slowly losing sight of their own humanity. It's one of those stories where the bad guy wasn't bad to begin with, but as time went on, their ideas slowly deteriorated into something almost evil. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, I do agree with a lot of the comments that I think the separating the episode into different genres was an amazing idea. I don't know that I think it was executed to the best of the ability as far as the standard that I hold Westworld to. And that's because they do everything so amazing, so beautifully. It felt a little underdone in certain ways. I think I was expecting more than just music cues a little bit visually as far as the noir section in the beginning where it went black and white. But then it felt like it wasn't as dramatic of a shift. Like sometimes I wasn't even sure which genre we were in. Yeah, sure. I'm right with you there. I think I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, but by the time we got to drama and horror, besides the fact that we loved the Shining score, we were starting to think, but what's the point? How is this pushing the narrative? Or is it just an opportunity for the creators to have some fun and be a little creative? I think if they did a mixture of um, if this drug was so intense where in film noir, our characters actually are wearing clothing of that genre, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, push it more. I don't think... I don't, I'm not sure if they were afraid to do that. Like, this is going to go too far over the edge. But I'm thinking about Mr. Robot. And sometimes they were criticized for doing things just for art's sake. But I absolutely adored those episodes. The one where we were in an 80s, 90s sitcom. Oh, that was fun. It, their clothes, the car they're driving, everything. They really threw you into that world. And they played around a lot with stuff visually in that way. Well, I mean, we had giggles say, be careful, watch out for the last one. It gets a little crazy. So that's the suspense and horror one. Well, that, it would have been cool if people's faces kind of flashed into like a demon or something for Caleb. You know, little things I think would have amounted to more. What was weird about that is I really thought he was saying watch out for the last one because that's when you go back to reality. And when they stepped out of the subway, 
And Caleb was saying, what genre is this? He's like, no, man, this is real life. Uh. And I thought that was the end. So it was weird to not end with that to then shift back to another genre for thriller or horror in the last scene. It just felt a little confused to me. But I said to myself, well, I want to go back and look because everybody has a clear picture in their mind of what they think drama is, what they think thriller is. But I wanted to look at what are the set traits that they consider when something falls into that category. What does it mean to be a thriller film? What beats are you supposed to hit? And that way we can more objectively analyze as we go through the plot, did they actually hit those things? I also thought it was cool, of course, genre is a type of communication in any mode, written, spoken, digital, artistic, anything that has these socially agreed upon conventions that develop over time. So you have that for writing as well, where it can break down into descriptive, expository, journals and letters, narrative, persuasive, and poetry. And we do see a little bit of that shifting because the scenes are very split with Serac talking and it is a lot of exposition. And then we go back to the Dolores Caleb stuff that's more narrative. And I was even thinking, oh, they could have pushed that a little bit more and had it extend to the writing as well. Like maybe there would have been some other things in there journals and letters that they're uncovering, different types of genres and other areas. Overall, though, I think the good things I'm enjoying continued. And then I found myself struggling with the other things as far as emotionally connecting to characters and being invested because it felt like we were hitting a lot of the same themes we have been sort of over and over, humans being on this loop. When Dolores releases the information to everyone and people get to see what course has been plotted out for them, They get to see the rails. It didn't quite have that emotional resonance. Again, I'm thinking about Mr. Robot. When things are exposed to the people, the reactions that felt so visceral, you're saying to yourself, wow, this is what it would be like if this stuff happened in the real world. Those scenes for me here felt a little bit disconnected. And of course, maybe we're going to look back later and all this is going to make sense because it's not quite reality. But right now, I don't really know where to fall on it. But as a whole, I thought it was a well-balanced episode. The genre drug and the action was well-balanced with Serac and his expositions. There's a few things that I'm concerned with. We only have three episodes left, and it's still that same Dolores is winning. Although we're now starting to get more of Serac's storyline, we have Bernard just constantly stumbling down the storyline, losing. He's only really alive because Dolores wants him alive, which we'll discuss later, but I mean, he's not, it's just like season two. It's, it's, he's lost. Yeah, even though things are happening, it feels a little like spinning wheels, which is weird in an eight episode season, having been reduced from 10. And I'm really hoping this means we're definitely going to another season after this. There was some question, would this be the last? I think there's two more if they have it their way. It, it feels like there's so much left to do and explore still. Like every episode, a lot of our theories are null and void. And a lot of new theories start to come about. One of which I heard, and at first I was like, no way. But then after a while of dwelling on it and reading about it and watching this video, I started to think, well, maybe it does work. And the theory I'm talking about is that Caleb is Serac's brother. And at first I was thinking, oh man, just because of now we're introduced to the brother, all of a sudden, you know, we got a lot of that in Game of Thrones. It's like, oh, this new character is introduced. Let's put him, let's put him in the puzzle Mm -hmm. and make it fit right away. But I watched heavy spoilers and he had a lot of good reasonings. So this isn't my idea. It's heavy spoilers. Shout outs to them. But I'm going to present it to our Clatchers. 
we have in the end of the episode, Liam says to Caleb, you did it. So at first I was thinking, and of course, I'm not 100% about this theory, but I'm keeping my mind open to everything. So when I first watched it, I was like, oh, he did it. Did he kill his friend? And he had that memory wiped. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put it into this theory, that could mean you did it. You're the one who created it because you're Serac's brother. Plus the fact that we know his memories have been wiped and we saw those flashes of him in the rehabilitation center. So what the thinking is, Caleb, the actual Caleb, maybe died in war because he was one of the outliers. And Serac chose that body for his brother because no one would be looking for him. And because of the fact that Caleb's real mother has a mental illness, which would make it easier for people not to believe her when she says, that's not my son. So that would answer the whole scenes with his mother and her saying, you're not my son, because it's not Caleb in there. Then we have the scenes where Caleb is saying, I've been shot in the head before, you know, and then that soldier doesn't shoot him, maybe because they know who he is and they know not to touch him. And if you've been shot in the head before, maybe that's how the original Caleb died. Now, these memories that Caleb's having, that could be implanted memories from the real Caleb. And the therapy that he's having is to keep him on track with those memories, to, keep, to make sure that that loop is still working. And then finally, when Serac is talking to Dolores at the end of the episode, and I noticed this live, but I didn't think of it this way, she moves around him, essentially keeping Serac's point of view away from where Caleb is. Now, I thought that she just doesn't want Serac to know who she has working with her. But it could also be that she knows as soon as he notices Caleb, he's going to be like, wait, that's my brother. He's going to know right away. Is all of this saying that Serac has no idea he's not keeping tabs on his brother and where he is and what he's doing at all times? He's got no idea he's out there chilling with Dolores the past couple episodes? Maybe he's a little busy right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I find that a serious misstep in this theory because... If he's gone through all this trouble recreating him, which essentially would make Caleb a human-host hybrid, which again, we didn't really think was possible. So we've somehow done that. Mm -hmm. And now he's not watching his every movement. Rehoboam's not tracking him. Is it true that his drip is really turned off? How would they allow that to happen? Because he would need to follow him everywhere. It just, I don't know. I can see the payoff of Dolores clearly wanted to get in close with people that were very important. Yeah, I mean, that would give us the reason why Dolores went to Caleb in the first place. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm sold on this. I'm saying that that the internet has made a good enough argument for us to put it on the table as a possibility. Yeah, I just, this is the trap that we always fall into with Westworld. And this is why it leaves me missing that other element because everything is so focused on what's the next mystery. The next mystery has to be that Serac's brother is not who we think he is. From the beginning, it's been that Caleb's not who we think he is. The entire world is maybe not what we think it is because it's a simulation. I feel like they can't go too far with this or they're back to season two, which got people frustrated and they were very clear that they didn't want season three to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I think we're limited to how many of those turns we're allowed to have. And we've already had the one with Dolores and the multiple reveals. As you said, there's only three episodes left, and there's a lot of ground to cover. So it would just be a little weird that we're opening up the Serac's brother thing in episode five as another mystery that needs to be discovered. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I feel you on that. Because the same argument could be made that that is the man in black mm-hmm. put into him. 
and I won't go on, but we can give multiple reasons, especially now that we've seen a trailer for next episode. It might even be more strong because they've been on that trail with him. I do think this human-host hybrid thing, it's almost becoming a presumed fact within the theorizing world that we're going to be able to do that. I know. That's a huge step to make that we've never seen be possible before, but he is somebody that we've been tracking for perhaps the first person to be able to do it. Sure. I'm still in the school of thought that it's more impactful if Caleb is a human who was trapped in this loop, who has, yeah, has been um, sent to war by a Rehoboam because he was an outlier, came back still alive. Now Serac put him into, and we know he's been there, the rehabilitation clinic. We saw that flashes as the second attempt. Maybe they wiped the memories of him actually killing his friend. I still think that holds a lot of weight. And could be a good storyline. Emotional weight versus the twist. I mean, that's kind of the thing we keep coming back to. But there's a lot to talk about as far as Serac's plans and what some of his goals were going into this. So Mm. we're going to unravel that as we move along more. So let's just jump into plot and we're going to cover the Serac scenes first. And then we'll get to Dolores and Caleb. We open up with him talking to Rehoboam. And that was immediately interesting to me because I thought... What is this? Does he have to teach the machine about certain things to some extent? He's saying, I should tell you about myself because everyone I knew is gone now, except for my brother. He thinks his brother was special. He kept them alive until they were found. When Serac said God had abandoned them, his brother said God never existed in the first place. Yeah, I think that's a good storyline to start the evil brothers because they're not evil deep down. Something catastrophic happened to them and all their friends and family, bringing them to the point where they believe there is no God, but they feel that there should be someone to watch over the human race so that this doesn't happen to everybody, and they're putting themselves in that place. It starts off, I guess, uh, innocently enough, especially as children, but again, as it unfolds, you start uh, you know, getting to the point where we should just kill this guy because he's in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say humankind was hurtling towards extinction, so we needed a god to save us from self-destruction, to create order out of chaos. So we came to the new world with one goal, to build a god, you. But there were problems, things we couldn't predict, flies in the ointment. We all know from season one, flies mean something. They never <laughs> completely spelled it out, but I guess it often signifies anomalies. Yeah, a glitch in the system we saw in Westworld The flies indicated when a host was glitching, or should I say waking up, coming to more awareness when Dolores was starting to figure things out. And so now we hear Serac talking about them as problems, things that don't fit in, things that the system can't quite come to terms with. And later on, when we're going to see him talking to the Brazilian president, of course, everyone's noticed that the fly is there as well. And this was one of the larger anomalies when he starts to put this system into place And not just individual people, but maybe countries, leaders of countries aren't coming into line. He has to go and strong arm them, basically. If you don't do this, you're not going to be in this position anymore. Absolutely. And it seems to be all about alignment with Serac and Robo. That's what he's been fighting from the beginning. Everything has to be aligned for this concept to work. Which brings us into another thing probably a lot of people were talking about. Now we kind of see what that graphic of Robo was with the circle You see the black getting thicker when there's a divergence. It's an eclipse. 
And if the alignment goes off, more of the black is showing. So basically more of the sun, you would say, is showing past the moon. And that's what we get at the end of this episode, a huge amount of black space. So the sun, the alignment of the sun, moon, and earth is really out of place towards the end of this episode. And that's why Serac freaks out. Um, the graphics in this show from day one has been amazing. And the visual of that is beautiful. We get the first shot of it here, in fact, that he is wearing a watch that shows him what's going on with that. It has that circle, so he's able to see it. But also that the screen fills with the image. It starts pulsing and going into inner circles, like you're actually going inside of Rehoboam. Yeah. And that's showing up whenever he's accessing a file. So it's like he's diving into the system to pull information out. Yeah, it could be going inside of Robo or searching through different simulations, you know, going to the one that he's looking for. Because he says it does billions of simulations. Mm. So he's finding the right, the correct one, maybe. So that's kind of like when he's entering one and he enters as this holographic image yeah. to go in there. Well, very similar to Apple's time machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he goes on to say that it turned out building a god wasn't easy and they needed a lot of data. So they partnered with Dempsey Sr., here played by Jefferson Mays, who is a rich, arrogant man that was in the right place before the privacy laws. Thus, his company Insight had the entire world's data. They show Dempsey Solomon, and we see that young Liam Jr. is there too. He's looking at the machine in awe. But Dempsey Sr. thinks the investment was a mistake, partnering with these two brothers. He won't sink any more money into it. Sure, this thing has predicted past events accurately, but he was promised an oracle, something that could predict future trends. More importantly, something that could make him rich and powerful. Now, I want to stop there because we see that in this time frame, the machine that they have is Solomon. It's the older version, and in fact, we hear there's been a couple of versions that came before that. Saul, David, Solomon, and then eventually Rehoboam. Now, we had a clatcher bring this up, what was it, last week, the week before, saying, I can't imagine they threw the word Solomon in there for no reason, and surely we're going to see what the first generation we thought at the time, this was first generation. they were right on with that. Yeah, except that Solomon was actually the third. And clearly, we thought these names were going to be an allegory to the Bible. They talk about these three kings, and what was going on at the time, the United Monarchy is the name given to the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah that's depicted during the reigns of Saul, David, and Solomon. Sometimes this is contested in modern times as a literary construction rather than historical reality. But either way, the story talks about those three kings supposedly being good because the kingdoms were united. The Bible would say there's a little more to that, that Saul's disobedience prompts God to curtail his reign. He went from being a good king to an evil one in God's eyes. David, who was good in God's eyes, was forced into exile by his own people. They rebelled against him. He eventually took back control, but continued to suppress rebellions throughout his reign. And then Solomon, who was granted wisdom by God, eventually let his relationship with God slip and afterwards was said to have been led away. God tells him, because you have done this, I will tear the kingdom away from you, but not in your days. I will take it from your son. And that leads us to Rehoboam. Upon the time of the succession of his son, the country eventually split into two kingdoms. Thus, you're left with Rehoboam kind of taking the rap for all of this. You know, everything was united and fine until he came along, when really it was almost the sins of the past eventually coming to bear out fruit. 
and there was some issue with each one of these kings. They started out good but went bad. They were good, but the people rebelled against him. They lost their way. I figured surely that must be a metaphor for what happened with these systems in the past, right? But Nolan actually came out and said, no. Now you tell me if you think this is to be believed or not. He said, I spent nine years in Catholic school, but I'm ashamed to say it actually has nothing to do with the biblical reference, the naming. Rather, it's an homage to a book called Stand on Zanzibar, which is a seminal piece of science fiction. An absolutely terrific and frightening book. That was a period in science fiction when we'd gotten out of utopian fiction and into much more frightening imaginations about where the world might take us. Shalmaneser? I'm sorry, I don't, <laughs> I'm not familiar with this book. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that was the AI in the book. And also the name of a real 18th century king of Assyria and Babylon. So bringing the names of the Israel kings into Westworld was an obscure way of paying homage to Brunner. So he's just saying he was recognizing a book that inspired him, that he took influence from. And gave an homage. It's possible that's what made him start going down that route, but then found these four names and went with it. And Nolan's just doesn't want people to figure it out too quickly, maybe. And he's kind of giving a red herring. Obscuring it. That's, yeah. that's what I thought, maybe. Otherwise... The coincidence is too much. It's weird, right? I mean, how does he know about all those names and puts them in the correct orders? Unless you just Google it. <laughs> And come up with the names, but I, they're so smart about looking deep into things and playing with the metaphors, playing with the naming, everything down to, we saw the name of the distillery yeah. a couple episodes ago. It would be weird for that to be an oversight. But then I thought if this book influenced him so much, maybe there's going to be other things, cues from it for what we might expect in Westworld. I mean, first of all, they are known for mixing narratives within chapters providing background information and world building to creating sprawling narratives and a view of the story's future world, kind of what you see here in this episode, the back and forth. The primary engine of the novel story is overpopulation and its projected consequences. So it was published in 1968, but the book took place in a futuristic 2010, and they saw that as being the thing they needed to work against, overpopulation. Thus, a new technology was introduced called eptification, education for particular tasks, a form of mental programming that almost reminded me of the glasses we saw on the website. Yeah. Put this on and we can teach you to do anything. So we'll have to see if this is something that plays out further. But finally, Nolan says they continue to be inspired by Creighton's original movie. He says there's a lovely line that we come back to again and again as a source of inspiration. It's when the chief scientist in the film is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. And he says, in some cases, these computers have been designed by other computers. So we don't even understand how they work. Yeah. Bill Gates has actually said that about real AI. And that is what I'm going to take as the big thing from what he said. Is that what happened? Saul created David. David created Solomon. Oh. Solomon Rehoboam and the problems keep getting trickier and trickier as we go this as we go along because Sirach has less control and understanding of what it's doing. Hmm. Coming back to the plot line, they say that Dempsey wanted proof. You know, he's ready to bail out on this project. So the brothers presented him with something simple, purely mathematical, the stock market. They showed him all the major indices 15 minutes into the future and where the market would close that night. As an example, they'd stolen $5 million last week, putting money into a hedge fund and letting the system trade with it until it produced $100 million. 
This is an example Dempsey can wrap his head around. Of course, and would keep them in business together. Pretty smart. And thus he agreed, but he didn't really understand the full scope of the system the way the brothers did. The power it gave to reshape the world. They charted a course for the entire human race, for the first time planning their story in advance. There was a brief, fragile piece, but it slowly started to fall apart. Dempsey became greedy, driving outcomes to benefit himself. So they locked him out of the system. But there was an even bigger problem. With every projection, the world became unglued because there were outliers they couldn't predict or control. And Sirach's brother was one of them. He was uniquely brilliant, but also uniquely troubled. He didn't fit the world anymore, and it drove him mad. Now his brother, we keep referring to him that way because that's how he talks about it. His name is... Jean-Michel, but Jean-Mi, I guess, is a nickname he gives to him. So here's where I want to ask you. Is the major flaw in this system the fact that humans created it in the first place and they put some of their ways of thinking, even subconsciously, they don't realize they're doing it, but there's a bias built into the system? I think that's one of the reasons it doesn't work. And the bias is a negative bias because of the brothers and what they went through. So if that's the base knowledge that the system is being built off of, the possible self-destruction of human beings, that is definitely what we're seeing here. But also I think it's because humans are unpredictable. We do things differently depending on circumstances, depending on what day it is, what time of day it is. The same question could be answered three different ways by the same human. Well, that's what I think. The system and he tend to think, no, that those are a small percentage of people outliers who are so unpredictable that you just don't know what choice they're going to make. For the most part, they seem to think we can track it. But the conclusion is, from what we've seen, the outcomes are typically bad. It is going to end in humans reacting badly, becoming violent, committing suicide, going to war and blowing up Paris. Is this kind of the blueprint they put in there? And so the system thinks that's the inevitability we have to fight against. Humans will eventually come to that place. Absolutely. We see Serac talking that way all the time. Because this felt strange to me when they did release the info to everyone. Unless they're just not showing it to us, it seemed that every single person was looking at this course their life would take without Rehoboam. And it was terrible. Is there nobody that wound up with an okay, just decent, even run-of-the-mill life? I can't believe that. I know. Yeah, it's a very dark way of putting things. And it's not even that without Rehoboam, that's what would happen. It still happens that way. Caleb was still going to jump off the pier. Right. So it's not even like it's preventing. And I guess because they wanted him to, in some way, he wasn't contributing or falling in line. But what's funny is the system isn't giving the humans the options. They're putting them into that loop, creating that inevitability. They're not able to see their full potential. Yeah, and the system seems to think even if you were free and not stuck on that loop and you could make your choices, you would still choose badly and come to this bad end. That, to me, feels illogical. Yes, there is a lot of bad in the world. Some people do wind up in this not-so-great place. But it's not everyone. Yeah. I feel like the data is skewed. And it brings us back to the scene we had earlier this season with Maeve, where she's able to glitch the simulation because she finds that loophole in how humans programmed it in the first place. Mm. This is the problem they did when building it that they didn't even realize they did. And I'm going to exploit that. 
Surely that must have been to teach us something, and maybe that's a pattern that we're going to see has carried over now. And multiply that by if systems are creating new systems now, and those basic premises keep getting amplified and exaggerated as time goes on without humans even being able to realize it, this is not going to be a good system anymore. No. Rehoboam sucks. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to Serac. We see that in a slightly more recent past, As we said, he's built the machine. Now he's trying to keep control of the world. So he goes to meet with the president of Brazil, warning him that there's a nascent separatist movement in the north of his country. The president's saying, well, his intelligence hasn't heard about this. Well, Serac says that's because they only know what he wants them to. Even the people themselves don't know they're going to act until they do. Mm, Minority report? Uh, True, yeah. How can you say that's definitely going to happen? These people don't even know they're going to do that yet. But we do. Right. And we see that Serac shows him a tablet with all this information about the region. Things like data on the people, the birth rate, the mortality rate, income inequality, regional exports and imports, primary industries, but also regional conflicts. There's divergence data, including any corruptions. And they have two suspects with IDs highlighted as classification U. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but some type of corruption is going to occur, and these are going to be people that incite it. And he says he also knows about the president's private deals, extraction of his friends. If he stops this behavior, the problem in his country will go away. Their arrangement together was founded on trust when Serac ensured his election. If he doesn't cooperate, he'll find that his country's currency value will begin falling and unrest will begin early. Six weeks from now, there will be a new president. So that gives us a really good point of view of how powerful Serac is. It's not just America, it's the whole world. And very similar to where we see Serac this whole episode, in a plane above the world, looking down on it as if he was a god. Mm, I can't wait to talk about that. I find that really interesting. Uh, We also get a clip of present day, though, where Serac is told that after analyzing the traffic coming out of the Yakuza facility, they found a connection between the encrypted devices. In these locations, Jakarta, Berlin, San Francisco, and L.A. The one in L.A. led them to Liam, that's the divergence there, who went missing from a private function with Dolores. So Serac orders them to activate every asset they have and catch her. But that's another confirmation that there was one more Hmm. Dolores out there. I mean, we have people accounted for in L.A., San Francisco, and Jakarta. So this mystery Dolores must be in Berlin. What body is she in? What is she doing there? What part of the plan does that fit into? It's a little clue finder for us, Mm -hmm. you know? There's another Dolores out there doing something. Well, and finally, Serac says that for 10 years, Dempsey was happy to cash the checks and take credit for making the world a better place. But one day, his curiosity got the better of him, and he found the facility where Serac was keeping his brother. After their exposure, both brothers were put on an anti-radiation medication to halt their genetic breakdown, which made him understand it was possible to edit people. But the truth is... His personality was always like this. I've been trying to help him. But you're experimenting on your own goddamn brother. He's impulsive, chaotic. I thought he was manageable. Then I caught him using the system, trying out certain scenarios. There are the times you need to leave things behind. 
he taught me that. My brother is part of a population of outliers. And as long as they are a part of us, there is no future for us. We hope and sends this group to high-risk sectors like uh, war, a wood chipper to eat them up and spit them out, dead or useless. Isn't helping them better than killing them off? We are not helping them. You're changing them. We adapt or we die. We all die. The scenarios I found him exploring with Rehoboam. He was planning to murder you. But Sirach is trying to help them by sending them to these re-education centers and essentially reprogramming them. And we don't know how they're doing that. No, we don't know how long they're in there, in the waiting cells. It's very ominous. Look how sad everyone is. They're in, uh, looks like, dormitories, college dorms, but maybe a little smaller, and they're not allowed to leave, and they're surrounded by glass, which is very reminiscent of Westworld, with the behavior techs working on the machines, the Mm -hmm. hosts. Yeah. A lot of things are mirrored from the real world and Westworld. It's not the haven that everyone thinks, Mm -hmm. at least this depiction of the real world. So has he actually found a way to modify genetics? which would be interesting, is part of this wiping memories, changing memories, implanting memories, maybe some of the stuff they've done with Caleb, finding a way to control them through the drip, giving them medication, altering their brain chemistry. There's a lot of things they could be potentially doing here. Absolutely. And maybe Caleb is the first test. We don't know how long ago that scene with Serac and Dempsey Sr. is. Maybe it was only a few months ago and Caleb is the first one, the trial. Yeah. Sent out there. And that's why Caleb is important. Or maybe that was uh, a few years ago, and there's a lot of them out there. We, we really don't know. Yeah. Well, driving out into the desert, Dempsey finally pushes back, saying you can't just change fate and geld humankind. He plans to tell everybody what Rehoboam saw. The man's finally growing a conscience, at least. <laughs> but too late, Sirach says that every scenario he ran where Dempsey warns the people ends in human extinction. That's why his brother had been planning to murder Dempsey. There are little white spaces, rare moments where randomness interacts with your life, where you can make a choice, a bubble of agency. This is so interesting. Is he telling Dempsey he has a choice here? I think at that point there's no choice. If he keeps pushing that, I mean, it feels like his murder set up already. Yeah. But it's also telling us there's not just people that are outliers. In the average person's life, there are also little pockets that they hit where they can make a choice that's theirs some degree of agency. Mm -hmm. Here, obviously, we see Dempsey doesn't relent, so Serac kills him, having already staged this plane crash, and thinking he can't let him undo everything. That, again, makes you wonder how much of this is true. It's a little bizarre that he's saying it was plotted that his brother was going to kill Dempsey, and that's why he's doing all this, because his brother is such an outlier. Presumably, there were other acts, too, not just killing Dempsey, but He feels okay now with going ahead and killing Dempsey. Doing exactly what his brother wanted. Yeah, it's strange. But absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, and then we hear Serac giving the last lines to Rehoboam, saying, this is how you came to be. Now I am sure the strategy will succeed. Forgive us our sins. What we did, we did to save the world. Famous bad guy thinks he's the good guy lines. Yeah. (laughs) But also, at this point, as we will see, once Dolores shows everyone the tracks. There is some mayhem, but that's not because human nature at its core 
is mayhem. It's because you've had them trapped for so long. This is the rebellious this You've is the been lying to stage. them. And is it really going to lead to human extinction? That feels crazy. He says every plan where Dempsey came out and told them the truth about that wound up with utter destruction. It was the end of our race. I feel like this guy's predictions <laughs> are not quite right. Well, again, it derives from his past. Uh, yeah. So he sees everything in the worst light. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's pause there. We're going to move over to Dolores and Caleb where Dolores is telling him that Serac can't locate them if they keep moving. He wonders what they still need Liam for. They got everything they needed from him. But she says to access and study their adversary, to go deeper into the layers of the system. I love Liam's shirt, basic, because he is so basic. Well, that could have several meanings. Is it referring to him as being old school, the programming that's used, or is it just the slang terminology that he's simple? (laughs) Surely he doesn't wear it on purpose because he thinks he's simple. (laughs) Well, Serac knows that Liam is trying to outbid him on Delos, and Dolores thinks they can help Liam. Though even his access wouldn't be enough, they would need a connected node to bypass security. Well, yeah, this is the first Liam is hearing that he's trying to outbid Serac. (laughs) He truly knows nothing, I guess. So she offers him the glasses to see who she really is, to challenge his complacency that he thinks he knows everyone because of his system. But she reads as a blank space. So there's one of those white bubbles. But Liam now turns his attention to Caleb, wondering what she's using him for. He scans him too and sees something that scares him. We don't find out anything more just yet. And in response, Liam quickly injects Caleb with a drug. Genre. He starts getting flashbacks, passes out, and then comes to, but things are fuzzy, and we go into our first genre. I'm really wondering what Liam saw. Obviously, the whole world is wondering. Uh, But our first genre is film noir. We get some Jawadi music, which is a nod to Out of the Past and Vertigo, according to the creators. So here we're going to break down what are the top criteria to meet something in the noir genre. They are stylish crime dramas, emphasizing cynical attitudes and sexual motivations with low-key, low-lighting, black-and-white style and unbalanced compositions. So we definitely see they're hitting the black-and-white thing as soon as we enter this, also that it's slow-moving, seems like everything kind of steps down a beat for Caleb. Serac's men start following him in the car, issuing an amber alert to force the car to pull over so we have crime drama. Dolores then convinces Liam to give her his private key so she can erase them from the system, which will stop their being able to track them. She disconnects the car, overrides it, and has it drive them out. But that's the end of that one, because we see Caleb start to kind of bug out, and they say, I think he might be switching genres. So did we hit genre number one? I feel like we hit that better than some other things. Yeah, for sure. That was one of the easier ones. Mm -hmm. But again, if they were all wearing the outfits, I think that would have been funnier. And kind of cool. Well, there's occasional times here in the action one and in the romance one where things slow down and Caleb looks over at Dolores, almost love struck in awe. She's moving in slow motion. It felt like they hit that beat one too many times for me. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, what's going on here? (laughs) Like, is this supposed to be just him? mesmerized by her and what she's able to do, not quite being able to figure her out. Is he falling in love with her? What are they trying to tell us there? But as we said, then we go right to Ride of the Valkyries. For action. Right. We know we're in action now. 
the criteria here is that a protagonist is thrust into events including violence, fighting, physical feats, and frantic chases. The resourceful hero struggles against great odds with a villain in pursuit. Now, just a fun note here, too. Ride of the Valkyries introduces the third act of the opera where the Valkyries gather. And they are, of course, warrior maidens who decided, supposedly, who would live and die in battle and then take the people to Valhalla afterwards. And it's been said that this was an homage to Apocalypse Now. The behind-the-scenes video, they were saying that this car chase, this action, was very important to the director. And I think she accomplished her goals here. That was a crazy chase scene. I liked everything right up until there's the shooting outside of the car. I liked the noir better, the suspense of their car being pulled over, not having control over it. She's got to override the system. The fact that Caleb is bugging out, so moving Mm. into this action thing as the chase sets off, she gives him this gun that he doesn't know what it is. It looks like a mini rocket launcher. (laughs) Like, yeah, send the human guy up. Yeah, that was funny. Out of the sunroof when people are shooting at him left and right. Is that another cue? Why would she do that when surely this guy that's tripping on drugs. I mean, he's still a good shot, but his reaction time might not be good. There's an awful lot of guns firing at him. They did that sharp turn and I was like, oh, he's going to lose the gun or fall out. Right. (laughs) This feels a little risky here, uh, but still very well filmed. Visually, it's very good. We definitely have the chase, the violence, the tracking missile, whatever it is, successfully explodes the car. And then they pull over to stop the second car. This is where things slow down as Caleb's watching Dolores shoot at them, having the little mini bike crash into them to stop them. It's pretty cool. Felt bad for the bike, though. Yeah. (laughs) But that takes us into genre number three, romance, where we hear love story theme finale playing. Now, in a romance, this is supposed to focus on passion, emotion, affectionate involvement of the main characters in their journey, what their love is taking them through so they might face obstacles that threaten to break their union apart. Um, I'm going to say no to all of that. I don't feel like there's any romance or love or human no, emotion at all. A, it was kind of a funny scene when he's looking at her gawking and she looks over while she's shooting like, dude. It's bizarre. And then you have the introduction of Ash and Giggles coming back in. I like them. I love when they come in. They're the good balance. They're the straight characters, especially in this scene. Mm-hmm. And they are a mixture of funny and badass. They save their lives. Oh, and it's great. But I certainly don't think we're hitting that genre appropriately with everything that's happening in these few scenes. Um, Ash and Giggles show up to help them. They recognize that Caleb's on genre, saying it's like five drips in one, a movie marathon. But watch out for that last act. Nolan said this genre drug was inspired partially by Willy Wonka and the five-flavored gum. Yeah, I heard that. That's where they got the idea. I just think, again, it could have been executed a little better. There's something to note, and I'm probably not the only person to say this. Um, Ash and Giggles call, uh, kind of making fun of Liam, and they call him Little Ford Fauntleroy, which is a children's book about a child who inherits a vast estate. So it's kind of a smart way of making fun of him. And then they call him Tom Canty. And this is from Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper. And Tom Canty is the pauper. So what that shows to me is that they are educated and and pretty smart, which leads me to believe that Ash and Giggles aren't able to reach their potential as human beings because of Robo. 
Again, Robo's not correct here, and it's keeping people down. Well, then Dolores sends Liam's key to Martin so he can access Zorak's file to see what Rehoboam knows about its master. And she reads the information with her contacts while they're walking down into the subway. She also instructs him to protect Bernard. Now we move into genre number four, drama. And we hear Nightclubbing by Iggy Pop. Nightclubbing, <laughs> Walking down, Dolores says that they're going to open people's cages. They should get to read their story. After all, it's their data and their fate. Liam thinks this is dangerous and reckless, that people shouldn't know everything about themselves. He illustrates his point by scanning Giggles and Ash, predicting one will be lucky to wind up in a ditch, and the other's golden boy brother will make her look like a saint. That's when Caleb tells us a story about killing rats using the water on the ship. When I was overseas, the rats were awful. Got so bad that we had to make our own rat traps in the barracks. A ramp leading up to some bait strung over a bucket of water. The rats would run up the ramp, fall in, and drown. Painlessly. But if you filled the water too high, it would swim around for hours, suffering because they had hope. But they never had a chance. Just like everyone at the mercy of your system. Hope is what our entire society is built of. False. Hope. I would rather live in chaos than a world controlled by you. So Dolores has Martin send everyone their insight files, and they watch as the people on the subway start reading them. One man sees his perception readout as unreliable and unstable. Asshole. Accidental drug overdose three to six years. Another woman has a projection for early onset Alzheimer's, 12 years, no reproduction allowed. And a third woman reads about her child, who will be diagnosed with major depressive disorder, have a high risk of suicide in five to eight years, early warning signs detected in online behavior. So as we said, just the worst possible outcomes. We see a couple getting into a fight. Presumably something was revealed about the course of their relationship yeah. and where things are going to go. But we don't see anybody even with just a normal prediction. No, never mind positive. This is certainly dramatic, but as we mentioned, feels a little off and isn't quite hitting that emotional tone. Even the story that Caleb is telling, it makes a lot of sense. And you're like, oh, that's awful. The predictions for Giggles and Ash, I don't know. Something was not 100% right here for me. Maybe because it's just being told to us or read to us. Or, I mean, we're reading it. So, and we're not seeing visual depictions of what's happening. Maybe that's why. You got Liam kind of barking what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that Dolores is saying what Liam is going to say seconds before, I think that should have had a little more impact but I, maybe it didn't because I don't understand. Does she know what he's going to say because he's in a loop as well? Mm-hmm. And she sees it through the computer, which would harken back to season one with Maeve. Remember when she started to realize everything she says is scripted? Right, yep. That should have more impact. Yeah, even the next scene of where they go outside and Caleb 
realizes they're in reality. You get Space Oddity by David Bowie playing. People are fighting, throwing things, yelling stuff, bricks through windows. Liam thinks they're already returning to their base selves. It feels just too over the top. Like th- these moments don't feel earned. It doesn't feel like a scary culmination of, oh, this is what she was going to do. She was going to show everybody their futures and it was going to make them unravel. I-, I don't know. It's not quite an earned moment and it's not impacting me, I think, the way it should. There's two things behind that. One, when she first does it, it almost feels heroic. And you're thinking, I'm back on the Dolores is a good guy. But you realize the reason why she's doing it is not to help humans. It's to create chaos Mm -hmm. and make the humans more of a weapon for her. So then you're like, oh, no, it's not that good. Which is what I wondered from the beginning of the season. Is she just going to be an anarchist, a a tool for unleashing chaos? It seems that way right now. And it's obviously going to be hard to root for her if that's the goal. Yeah. Now... I think the issue you're having is why would humans start reacting this way? And the reason is it would make sense if it was told to them what we know, which is that Robo is keeping them in a loop, controlling everything, rather than just they're shown what's going to happen to them. If they were told everything that's going on, then I could see even myself rebelling, like, fuck this shit. But just seeing your projection wouldn't make me start throwing things and going crazy. So just then a car pulls up and men come out with guns shooting. Dolores steps in front of Caleb and kills them, thus protecting him, saving him. This podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitchers off the mound. But our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. Video poker not your thing? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables Live on-site, 24-7. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. And there's more than just sports. You can place your wager on political bets, current events and current affairs, such as World Car of the Year, or first organization to send humans to Mars, SpaceX, NASA, or other choices. And for our listeners, you can visit mybookie.ag and use promo code CKC for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G, and use promo code CKC to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit. And you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. You spin, you win, you get paid. Support us by supporting mybookie. But now we're going to cut over to what's happening with Bernard as Martin Dolores clicks the button to turn him back on, explaining that Rehoboam is their god. They make the future by watching, predicting, and keeping them all on a loop. And Bernard reflects on what Dolores actually wants here, thinking, living another person's life changes you. Worlds bleed. Maybe you felt that too. He tells Bernard it's almost time to choose a side. They all have their role to play and some won't survive. Dolores is about to send them off their loops, and information can be deadlier than any weapon. He also knows Serac will send someone soon, but first he wants to show Bernard the place they put the ones that don't belong. So he lets him see the tablet, which says the Re-Education Center Inner Journeys Recovery. 
And that's, of course, the place we know the man in black was sent to. Just then, Stubbs arrives. Don't know where he's been or how he got in there. But he fights Martin, retrieves the button back for Bernard. And seeing people are already coming to get him, Martin says, my role is finished. You're the only one we can't replace. What does that mean to you? Is it because he's the only human-host hybrid? Or did Dolores put in the geolocation of where those files are? Moved it back out of herself and put it into him? Yeah. I mean, it could be something funky's definitely been going on with Bernard that we don't quite know the whole story for sure. We keep coming back to this, but the fact that he is the only successful hybrid has got to be something that's coveted. That was the main goal for humans of trying to do all of this. Well, I'm trying to, for the life of me, come to a solid reason why she would keep Bernard alive, knowing that he's against what she's trying to do. There's got to be a good reason. This Dolores, meaning Martin, if I read this correctly, was trying to convince Bernard what she's doing is correct. Mm -hmm. Everything you thought was wrong about the hosts, what's happening with them being on the loop, being slaves to the storyline, is exactly what I'm trying to stop here. Sorak's doing the same damn thing. Yeah, and after this, Martin's taken upstairs to speak to the holographic Serac who questions his loyalty due to the breach, at which point Martin Dolores says, well, I know, I I am the breach. It's been happening here all along. And he proceeds to blow up the room with himself, Serac's right-hand woman, and a whole large chunk of the building. Now, this isn't my theory. This is going around on the internet. But Serac says to Hale, this season, you think you're the only mole I have there. A lot of people are thinking because of the way Stubbs re-enters that maybe he was the other mole. Mm-hmm. It's definitely weird, the entire situation with Stubbs. Is he really there to protect Bernard or just to watch him? And the interaction that Stubbs had earlier on with Dolores at the party. Also, does this show, as some people have implied, that Dolores is willing to sacrifice herself for the cause... Is it a sacrifice if it's just one of four copies? It's not the original you being taken out? (laughs) No. You know? But either way, Bernard and Stubbs make it outside on time here, and Bernard says, her plan is starting. I think I'm part of it. Oh, you think so, Bernard? (laughs) (laughs) And then we go to the last scene with Dolores and Caleb, genre number five, thriller horror, where we get the Shining music playing. And that was crazy. I mean, we had a visceral response to that. But that's because of our Patreon and the the movies we've been reviewing. And some people really hated that choice, saying it was way too obvious. I disagree. I think it didn't lend to what was actually happening on screen. It wasn't a horror Well, okay. So again, I want to dig into those criteria. I think it's interesting that when you look up the genres, they say that horror very often overlaps with sci-fi, fantasy, thriller. It's not just horror. And it seeks to elicit fear for entertainment purposes. You have the intrusion of an evil force, event, or person into the everyday world. The protagonist is usually set against a problem such as an escape, a mission, or a mystery. You have the horror of Liam dying here, which nobody really seems to care about, but more so that Caleb is coming to terms that he doesn't actually know who he is. And maybe he's done terrible things. It's like waking up and finding out you're in a nightmare. You're not the person you thought you were your whole life. I mean, that's pretty intense. It definitely is. One thing that was telling in that scene was that Dolores knows more than she's telling Caleb about Caleb because her response to what he's going through is very minimal as far as words go, almost as if she can't say what needs to be said. Of course, she knows he is reeling because 
After Ash surprises Liam by shooting him, doing something that he didn't expect, Liam tells Caleb that he is the worst of them. You don't even know who you are. Amidst this, Caleb is flashing back to Francis dying, all of those scenes that he thinks he has, memories of the way things went down. Looks like uh, an older gentleman that we don't know and haven't seen before, pulling a, a covering off of him. Like they're interrogating. Interrogating, yeah. So, harshly. Um, and I'm not sure if this is who you're talking about, but we see a new character there played by an actor we know, Enrico Colantoni, who's in Person of Interest, mm. also created by Nolan. A lot of people are saying that because he's such a prominent actor, we're likely to see him again. And in the closing credits, he's listed as playing a character called Whitman. He's got a name, which leads me to believe this isn't the end of him. And we are going to see more about these memories that could perhaps be different than Caleb thinks. Oh, boy. And with Liam's final breath, he says, you did it. That goes back to that infamous phrase that we have no idea what it means. And Caleb starts demanding, who do you think I am? But Liam's already gone. And in the last scenes of the episode, we are at an airfield. And the holographic image of Serac tells Dolores this is his system. He controls it. Yes, his people are flawed, but he can change that. She warns him that her creators thought they controlled her too, but they're all dead now. It's time that everyone woke up. And that's where we see Serac seemingly has been aboard this airship the entire time. Yes. There's got to be something more to this, that he's never where you think he is. You said it could be metaphorical. He's just flying above, sort of being a god, surveying his people. Yeah, and I think it goes further. The juxtaposition between him up there, flying above the clouds, above everybody, free to go wherever he wants, and... Our protagonists down in a train led by tracks, not free to go wherever they Underground, want. Underground, in fact. Underground. <clears throat> Underground, in fact. But I'm wondering if it's more than that. I had speculated last episode when we saw the rockets going off and coming down the spaceship so easily. Is Earth really a home for everybody anymore? Are there space stations or other places where people go? Is that something only the wealthy can afford to do? Is there something still seriously wrong with this planet? Pollution or other problems that you can't stay there very long unless you're forced to? I still think in some way it doesn't necessarily have to be a simulation that's occurring, that it's all fake. But something is not quite as we believe it to be on Earth. And if there's two more seasons, that leads me to believe for sure we're not going to overtake Serac and everything's going to be fine at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. So we end this off with Serac looking at his watch, the divergence growing bigger, as you said, looking like an eclipse. The alignment is off now. I would like to request Apple create a time face, <laughs> please, Apple and HBO, because <laughs> I would put that on my watch right away. Yeah. It'd be so cool. Also, something to note that we do see, don't worry, I won't spoil anything, that we do see in the trailer of next episode, Caleb is given a big bag with something in there. To me, it looks like a giant tripod. I don't know, obviously, of course. Is it one of those machines that we saw last season? The Li-Fi cannon? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what else could it be? I didn't see it well enough to say I'm going to have to watch it again. Uh, But we do end with Caleb sort of questioning Dolores, saying maybe Liam was right and that people shouldn't know their own fate. Maybe I'm not like other people. And she says, neither am I. Whatever's happening, I am... I mean, I really don't know this whole Caleb storyline at this point. Do we believe he's going to stay on task with her? 
What's his background? Is he the man in black? Is he Serac's brother? Is he Caleb, who is just lost? I'm going to stick with, I think, that he's just Caleb. But something serious is going on. It's not just a divergence anymore. Something is broken with the system. I wanted to take this point to say we got a notification from Insight.com. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That says, sorry, something went wrong. We are experiencing widespread technical difficulties. All of our physical offices are currently closed, but automated customer service representatives are on standby to handle your questions. We apologize for the disruption this may have caused and encourage you to remain patient. This changes nothing. We will get you back on your path shortly. Get you back on your path. Yeah. The systems are down. The paths are broken right now. I I think Rehoboam has completely lost control. But what does that mean to us? What does that mean to Dolores? Well, I think she is managing to incite that chaos. It's not just giving the people the information. She has thrown this whole delicate balance Mm -hmm. that Serac has created out of whack. Now the White Walkers can come. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So that wraps up the plot and takes us to our reverie rating. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give episode 5 genre? Well, for me, although I see the weaknesses in this episode and ways they could have done it better, I still found it to be very entertaining while I was watching it. And to be honest, I was hungry to find out more of Serac's background. And we got that. We have a better understanding of what's going on in that section of the storyline. At least we think we do. (laughs) But at the same time, in Westworld fashion... They were able to create more questions, more theories, with everyone left wondering what's up and what's down. So I didn't dislike it as much as other people did. So I'm going to go up from last episode and give it an 8.6. What I'm finding difficult to accept is that the beginning of these seasons, Caleb had a voice that we actually listened to. And we found it interesting, his thoughts, the way he's thinking, the way he's living. But ever since he was brought into the fold by Dolores, he doesn't have a voice anymore. He's kind of a follower. A pawn. A pawn, absolutely. Which inevitably, at this point, makes him less interesting on screen. I personally was really excited to see what was going on with him. Now, I'm not giving up on him. Obviously, they're setting up something in regards to Caleb's backstory. But I hope they let him shine a little more. Let him become his own entity again not just a shadow of Dolores. I agree. And by episode five, I'm concerned that we're still doing this big split between Dolores and Maeve episodes. I want to see that. It's not a split. We've, we got one and a half Maeve episodes. But they're never even in the same ones. Yeah. We've got Maeve one time and then Dolores the next time Maeve. And Bernard getting such small screen time because whatever this importance is, we need to keep it on the back burner. I'm starting to feel that impatience that those of you who listen to us are probably familiar with Christina at this point in the season. Okay, where where are we going with this? We only have a couple of episodes left. I didn't dislike it either. I enjoyed a lot of parts of this episode and definitely more than the last one. So I'm going to give it an 8.5. So let's see what our Clatchers thought. I bet they have amazing theories. But first, we need to figure out who the MVB was. Every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clashers, who is your most valuable being? This week, Serac, Dolores, Caleb, and Liam. He was a throw-in. With (laughs) 3.1%, and in last place, Liam. Well, it's his final episode, so we have to give him the opportunity. And as basic as he might be, (laughs) 
He tries to give a lot of warnings here that I'm wondering if there will be truth in. Maybe people don't need to know everything. This could be dangerous. Be careful of what you're doing. The moment they get that info, as much as you want them to have it, it does create chaos. And I don't think Dolores is listening because she doesn't care, but Caleb certainly cares about that. and It's making him think differently in addition to what he doesn't know about himself. So Liam did sort of push the story forward a bit in this episode. Yeah, for sure. And he woke Caleb up a bit, just like you were saying, to Mm -hmm. to question. So coming in third place with 15.4% was Sarek. I'm a little surprised because it is the expository episode about the brothers and Rehoboam and how all this came to be. He's definitely losing by the end of the episode. Dolores is getting over on him. But prior till now, I was complaining that we were only getting him in these tiny little two-second scenes at the end of an episode or right at the opener. We had no idea what his backstory was, how he's gotten to this place. This really was the Serac episode. For sure. But we saw the evil behind everything this episode. Right. But we always say, for other shows, a person can win the poll, even if they're evil. True. Absolutely. You know? (laughs) And in second place, with 30.8%, is Caleb. Not bad. Not bad. I think people still really like him. And of course, he was the one taking the genre drug. Um, And the acting was amazing. His responses to every genre was believable. To have even some agency despite all of that. I mean, imagine yourself going through this experience Mm. and still being able to do the things that he's doing. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. But coming in first place with 50.8%. Again. Again. Is Dolores. My goodness. This is her fourth out of five episodes this <laughs> season that she's winning. Kirk is in his glory right now. So let's see the responses. Melly said, I felt for Caleb in this episode. I hope he can find some agency through all of this. The last scene opens two possibilities. Either he turns against Dolores or he realizes he can't go against her and tries to soften her and make her see his point of view. I hope it's the latter. Well, if he turns against her, would he somehow connect with Maeve? Is he going to go back to that rehabilitation center? I mean, where is his path if he's not with Dolores, I guess is what I'm wondering. I'm wondering where is our path? (laughs) Because they're both bad at this point. I'm not saying Maeve's bad, but Serac's point of view is bad, and so is Dolores. Right, but... (laughs) Uh, Maeve doesn't really buy into that. And I have to believe that Bernard's not going to either mm-hmm. once he gets a fuller picture of this. And I'm thinking we're going to see him go to that center now that he knows about it next episode. So the lines might start to be a little more clearly drawn. Okay, so Lewis says, I don't know. This episode was very, what's the word? Meh? The genre drug was extremely pointless. I felt like the ideas are cool, but the execution is off. It didn't feel Westworld. On the plus side, Serac's backstory was good. Wish it was told throughout the season. Everything feels rushed. Okay, so I could see that maybe getting clips throughout the way instead of the big dump. But I guess because of the back and forth with Dolores and Caleb, it didn't feel too much for me. Mm. But he pretty much agrees with everything else we're saying. Yeah. Sherry Ava says, my number one MVB is Dolores for episode five. She's invincible as she kidnaps Liam, breaks into Insight headquarters, reveals humanity's destiny, saves Caleb, and learns Serac's motivations and dirty little secrets. This was a playful episode. I enjoyed the chase scene, 
the shout out to movie genres, peeling the onion back, the philosophical questions of whether knowledge of the future will change it, and the mystery of Bernard's role in Dolores' plan. Michelle says, have been flicking through podcasts and I seem in a minority because I liked this episode. I agree it was playful, but also feels like they're hinting at so many things which I haven't quite grasped yet. I hope I won't be let down by the last few episodes. Well, it seems like we agree with you, Michelle. We don't hate it at all. No, they just got to stick the landing. (laughs) Oh, Linda has the opposite feelings. She says she personally loved the last episode, but this one fell short. I dug the explosion at the end, though, which is why I had to give my MVB to Dolores. Theory about Caleb. He's a host from War World. Or he's a human host, like Bernard. Just wildly guessing at this point. We all are. Let's (laughs) be honest. Michelle responded to that. There is something definitely going on with Caleb. He has been experimented on by Serac and his memories implanted? Yeah, we're thinking that might be true. Or at least erased a little bit. Who knows? Joe also wants to add, we went through all the music of the genre scenes, but we also heard Closed with Emerge by Fisher Spooner at the very end. Oh, nice. Okay. Ooh, Oren doesn't like this. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the truth is that for me, Westworld jumped the shark with the Dolores reveal last episode. I really wanted to enjoy this one, but it seemed so amateurish. The whole genre's theme was not really committed to and just missed the mark. Yeah, it does feel like people either like the last one and dislike this one or Mm -hmm. vice versa. I was let down by the multiple Dolores thing a bit, whereas I like this one better. But I agree that the genre theme didn't totally live up to what it could have been. Absolutely. Elliot Todd says Rehoboam was like Cassandra from The Magicians writing a version of people's (laughs) lives. And Zelda told P40 that people who read their own books tend to not end well. I would listen to Zelda. Best way to not self-fulfill a prophecy is not know it. That was Voldemort's fatal mistake. Oh, I like that. Wow. Putting it all together. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Elliot Todd. Uh, Fun note for any of our Magicians listeners, Jade and Brittany are doing a rewatch every Wednesday from season one. And live tweeting if you guys are interested. It's kind of cool. Daniel says, I think Serac was MVB because he advanced the plot the most. The episode even begins with his narration, continuing throughout. Honestly, I didn't care much for the episode, way too much crammed in, and so many plot choices that seemed ludicrous. Dolores waiting until the final minute of the car ride to show Liam that he can take control, having Caleb spent most of the episode on an acid trip, and having him use weapons while on that acid trip. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, I agree. There's a lot of things that don't totally hit, but, um, I thought the (laughs) Caleb needing to try to figure it out while on the drug was funny. The fact that she lets him is not so funny. That makes me wonder what the hell is going on there. He also wonders, do you think Caleb will turn on Dolores because he suspects that she was faking her injury the night they met and realizes he's still a pawn in someone else's game? Yeah. I mean, she sold him on this whole know the truth, have the freedom to choose, and yet he doesn't know about her, Mm. about the things that she's planning. And if it turns out she knows about his identity, I for sure think that's going to be the wedge that ruins their relationship. Sure. The Viking says it would be easy to select Dolores MVB every episode this season, but this week I chose Serac because his backstory laid the foundation for the entire plot of season three. I like that. (laughs) Mirian says, the little twitch of a smile after Dolores looks at the people receiving their files. She thought, oh, she's saving humanity. When Bernard says she's taking them off their loops. And then a second later, I realized she's using them as her own weapon. She pressed the self-destruct button. Oh, absolutely. I I felt very similar to that. Every 
everyone. I've felt that way this whole season, which is why <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, can't quite get on board. But Ron is going to go with Dolores again this week, saying so far she's managing to outmaneuver Serac at each turn. With only three episodes left, I'm curious to see what twist the showrunners have in store. So, Jason, who is your MVB? You know what? I'm just tired of saying Dolores, so I'm going to go Serac. For the same reasons our Clatchers gave, he did leave a foundation of everything that's happening in season three. I don't know who to root for at this point. I don't know who's the good guy or who's the, or who's the bad guy, and I kind of like that. Well, if you haven't guessed by the way I'm talking, I'm also going to go with him, Serac for MVB. I don't think that this system is the right choice. We have seen him doing horrible things, such as killing Dempsey in this episode, putting his own brother in this facility. But I certainly do think he is inciting, pardon the pun, all of this to happen. This is the whole reason Dolores needs to go up against it, because him and his brother developed this whole system. They changed the world. They actually did. For sure. You know what I'd like to see when Dolores first lands in the real world, if it is the real world? What she went through to figure out what's going on and to learn about Serac, or at least Rehoboam, mm-hmm. or Insight, or what have you. Uh, I wonder how she started to figure all this out. Mm-hmm. Well, we have just a few more Clatcher's comments not related to MVB. Christina wrote in with a correction to us, Jason. William was on the beach in the season two finale. Yes, thank you, Christina. I went and watched that clip again, and I can't believe I forgot that. As soon as she said that, I remembered the flash of the camera to him that he was recovered. We see his fingers shot off, and they're trying to fix him up. Sorry about that. So much happened, you know? And I guess what I remembered, what was so clear to me, was the last scene with Dolores. Well, and Dolores, at that point, you're focused on her inside of the Hale body trying Mm -hmm. to get out of there. Mm -hmm. But she also says in regards to the black and white concept that we keep batting around with the clothing, for some reason, a chessboard comes to mind. I think everyone in black or white are pieces on the board in play. Maeve not really in the game or part of it between Dolores and Serac is the only one that remains colored. Now, she is wearing white in the scene where Serac wakes her up in the simulation, but maybe that's because she's coming under his control. So I like the idea that maybe it's not good and evil or host versus human, but the sides of the game that they're on and Mm. how that could change over the course of the season. Also, if we think along those lines, Caleb, while in dark colors, is in blue a lot of the time. Hmm. So maybe he remains not really on one side or the other, which I would enjoy. And she says, regarding Jason and your comment on who to root for, I'm not sure that's ever been a desire of the showrunners to choose a camp, no matter how much they're gearing one up. For all we know, Maeve may decide both Serac and Dolores are megalomaniacs (laughs) and just fight to be free and guard the sublime herself. She could also choose to liberate those pearls that he has. Yeah, I've been saying it too as far as figuring out who to root for, but I agree they're keeping it very intentionally gray. For sure. And then Michelle wrote in to say, I was just listening to a UK podcast, and they were discussing the post credit scene of season two that goes like this. William. Ah, fuck, I knew it. I'm already in the thing, aren't I? Emily. No, the system is long gone. William. What is this place? Emily. This isn't a simulation, William. This is your world, or what's left of it. Do you know where you are? So Michelle says, does this back up the theory that the whole of season three is in a simulation? Yeah, we don't know. It's all being run through, and the real future is the one we see at the end of season two with the man in black. 
or the cover of season three for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this might be right, and I don't. I think some people might be pissed off about that. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to see. They'll have to give a good reason. Chris, we had a very special bonus episode over on Patreon. First time, actually, one of a kind episode. We had some of our Patreon clatchers on to speak with us. We went over some interesting topics. We played a couple of games. It was a lot of fun, and it was really cool, especially right now when everyone's left at home to their own devices. We got to have a little bit of human contact, yeah. even though it was digital. And we really enjoyed it, and we, we gave it to all of the tiers over at Patreon. As a little teaser, we do talk about some Westworld-inspired topics. The future of tech, are we excited, does it scare us? If we were going to create a park, what would it be? Any theme in the whole world? A squirrel makes an appearance in the episode. If you want to figure out what that means, you're going to have to go head on over and join our Patreon. You're not only going to get over 72 hours worth of content, you're also going to know that you're helping Christine and myself out by contributing to our loop. Well, that's going to do it for this episode and just take us to our spoiler section. So if you are afraid of that, we will see you next week when we review episode six. So for those of you still here, we know episode six is called decoherence. Now, in physics, this is a process in which a system's behavior changes from that which can be explained by quantum mechanics to that which can be explained by classical mechanics. Hmm. Now, I read further on this topic, and literally every single word of every sentence... Quantum. I cannot understand. Yeah. I am, like, trying to look up definitions and figure out... There's no sensible way unless you understand this topic. If anybody here is familiar with quantum mechanics and has a more digestible way of explaining decoherence for me, I would certainly appreciate that so we can know a little more about what's coming next week. But we also got our preview from HBO. So we know we are going to be seeing Maeve again. And there's going to be interaction because Dolores says hello. Hmm. And Maeve says it's not right for one person to have all that power. And Dolores (laughs) kind of retorts, says the woman who can control us with her mind. Yeah. Well, there's a few key things to, to think about there. Visually, we, it looks like Maeve is back into the simulation of War World, which is very confusing, unless she wanted to be put in there to practice her new powers, perhaps. I'm thinking maybe because she was so badly injured last time, when Serac comes and finds her, he wants to test her pearl out, make sure it's still functioning right. Oh. So he puts her back in the simulation against her will for a minute. That's less fun, though. It's less TV. You know? Yeah, but we could learn something interesting throughout Maybe. all of that. Another thing I saw visually was now Dolores and Caleb on horseback. It looks like back in Westworld. I don't know, but it looks like it. And Dolores now has that bag on her horse, which means it was intentional for him to get delivered that. They're aiming to go somewhere. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> but are they back in Westworld and why? And if so, there's going to be a lot of jumping around because at one point, Serac holds a gun on Caleb. I know, it's so curious. He holds the gun at his head. And he can't be a holographic image if he's intending to shoot him. They must be face-to-face. You would think, unless it's a play. Right, clever editing, Yeah, how it's done. You know, he's just talking. But also, we're going to come back to the man in black. So where I was saying, we can't get everyone in one episode. Come on, we're getting it here. We see him beating someone with a chair. Yes. And he, well, we first see a scene that's very similar to what we saw in the flashbacks of Caleb 
in that chair getting experimented on or mm. getting wiped or possibly re-imaged. I think they're trying to do that to him. And he and gets out. He's like, enough of this. I'm breaking out of this place. And now he's the white hat breaking out of the bad place. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping we can root for him again because I always wanted to. Oh, I've always said I think that he's redeemable. And when we saw him in that white outfit last time, yes, I know that that's the hospital attire. That's what he has to wear. But symbolically, yeah. does that mean he's going to switch sides a little bit? He's still going to have some serious vengeance mm. for Dolores. Because on top of everything else, she's now tricked him, made him feel like he's crazy, and gotten him committed to this place. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting showdown when they come back together. Yeah. But again, because of the fact that we don't know Dolores' plan, did she have him committed to this place, which is in the same building, on purpose to now use him as a weapon as well? Well, that's what I mean. She certainly wants to. She pricked him. Be able to control him in some way. But I think this is one man that's not going to fall in line with any of that. So three more episodes left of Westworld, plus possibly something else fun for CKC. We may have a secret episode coming at you. Mm, Stay tuned. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. (laughs) 